won't you stand with me this morning? Let's stand together. Thank you, Lord. Let's pray. Come on, all over this place, let's lift our voice in prayer. Thank you, Lord. We thank you, Lord. Lord, we thank you that we can come boldly before the throne this morning. Lord, we thank you that we've been given access to the throne room this morning. We worship you. We praise you, Lord. Give us ears to hear what you're saying today. Lord, open our ears. Open our hearts. Lord, I pray for every person in this room this morning. Father, you know each thing, each and every person and everything they're facing, every situation, every circumstance. Lord, what they've come in with and what they need to go out with. So, Lord, I thank you that every weight that's on them would lift off of them right now. Lord, anyone in this room, I thank you, Lord, that's carrying burdens and weights and the cares of this world that they lift off right now in the name of Jesus. Lord, and that your peace would come. Lord, that your joy would fill their life. Lord, that your power would come in, in place of those things. Lord, I thank you that you're ministering already this morning. Lord, I pray that you'd continue to speak through your word today. Lord, Judy, open our ears to have understanding. Lord, expand and increase us today. In the mighty name of Jesus, and everyone said, amen, amen. Why don't you give the Lord praise this morning as you're seated? It's good to see you in the house of the Lord. Let me see your Bibles this morning. You got your Bibles or devices. Let me see. Wave them at me. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. If someone's got a Bible next, next to you, tell them, good job. Keep bringing it. It's awesome. You need to keep digging in. Don't just bring it, but get into it. Dive into it. We're going to continue this morning our wholeness series. How many of you have been enjoying the Lord through this series on wholeness? Awesome. I know I have. We are complete in Christ. Everybody say that with me. Complete in Christ. Doesn't that sound good? Man, that is good news that I am, I am not lacking or missing anything in Him. He, is, he makes me complete. How many of you are lacking some things on your own? <laughs> we all have insufficiencies in our own selves, but in Christ, He makes us complete. He makes up for where you lack. He makes up for your weakness. Paul said, in my weakness, I will boast because it's in that place that I am made strong. In Christ in me, the hope of glory, He makes me strong. Amen. He makes me complete. We're going to go in your Bibles today to Matthew 22. We're going to be all over the Bible again, but uh, we're going to zero in on Matthew 22. A wealthy woman once asked an elderly monk how she could know if God exists. He tells her, no explanation or argument can achieve this, only the practice of active love. She then confesses that sometimes she dreams about a life of loving service to others. At such times, she thinks about perhaps she would become a sister of mercy and live in holy poverty and serve the poor in the humblest way. But then it crosses her mind how ungrateful some of the people she would serve are likely to be. They would probably complain that the soup she served wasn't hot enough, that the bread wasn't fresh enough, or the bed was too hard. She confesses that she couldn't bear such ingratitude, and so her dreams about serving others vanish. And once again, she finds herself wondering if there is a God. 
To this, the wise monk responded, love and practice is harsh and dreadful when it's compared to our dreams. Isn't it true? We often think about how great it is to love others. And Jesus said the greatest commandment is to love others until we have to do it. Until you're looking that person who aggravates you to no end in the face. Or you come to church and you see the person that offended you. Or you get the text message or whatever the thing is. And you have to love in spite of that situation. You see, our emotional maturity is directly connected to our spiritual maturity. When Jesus said in Matthew 22 that the greatest commandment is to love God and the second is like it, you should love your neighbor as yourself, there is a direct connection between how we love ourselves, our emotional maturity, and our spiritual well-being. You can't escape it. We try to. We try to segment. Oh, I will segment my health emotionally from my health spiritually or I'll be spiritual in church on Sundays but when it comes to Monday through Saturday I will live how I want that's not how it works you can't live emotionally disconnected during the week if you can't learn to love others you can't love God fully and if you can't love God fully then you won't be able to love others it's this great glory cycle we've talked before about the glory cycles of the Bible well love is one of those cycles that God first loved us, and we're able to love because of that. And then we love back, and it's this constant cycle of love. In Matthew 22, verse 36 through 40, let's read this together. The Pharisees asked Jesus, actually, if you read before that, one of the lawyers, it's always the lawyers, one of the lawyers was trying to trip Jesus up trying to ask a question to trip Jesus up. I don't know if you've ever sat in a deposition or, or any legal proceedings. I, I actually used to work at a, at a law firm, and I used to actually, I was, a, I was a private investigator for a law firm, and part of my investigator responsibility, how many of you knew that? Investigator responsibilities was I had to often travel and prep clients for depositions. So I was very familiar with some of the tactics that the opposing legal team would use. And we'd come into these really expensive hotels to do these depositions. And I'm talking about just immaculate, five-star, beautiful hotels. And we'd come into these, uh, into these depositions, and it would be me, this young you know, legal investigator, bringing in a client. And the, the opposing legal team would have three or four of the best Dressed, I mean, top of the line, name brand suits, bow ties, ties, the dresses, their hair. I mean, they were in and they were trying to intimidate the client by who, just how they showed up in the space. And then you'd have the court reporter there and all the things. And my my clients would look at me like. <laughs> Are we okay? Are we, you know, just that, you know, just the awareness of trying to just trip them up, you know, just trying to, and they'd ask questions to just try to trip them up, get them to tell something that would contradict their story that they could use in court later. Well, that's kind of what's happening here is let's try to trip Jesus up. Let's try to catch him in a, in an error. And so they come to Jesus and they said, teacher, what is the greatest commandment of the law? And Jesus said to him, verse 37, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment and the second is like it. 
you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And notice what he says. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. To love others well as Christ commands, we must, we have to grow in our emotional maturity. We have to become emotional adults in Christ. Now hold on to that because I'm going to come back to that. We have to become emotional adults in Christ. Many people know the truth of the scripture. We know that we're to live spiritually mature lives. We know we're to look like Christ. How many of you know we're to look like Christ? We're supposed to live Christ-like lives. But we realize that we don't always do it. It got quiet in here. Don't shout me down when I'm telling you the truth. We know we're to do it, but we don't do it. We hear the, we hear the truths of scripture. And they echo in our ears. Things like, how do I be quick to hear and slow to speak? <laughs> I heard that. I heard the, I heard the, the groan of the crowd, this, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? How do, I really want to say what I want to say, but how do we be quick to listen and slow to speak? Or be angry and said not? Or things like guard your heart above all else? Or speak the truth in love? Or become a true peacemaker. We hear these things that, you know, how to mourn. Well, how do we do that in a way that honors God? How to not lie about others. Or how to get rid of bitterness, rage, or envy. All of these things, we know that we are to do these things. But oftentimes, we find ourselves living quite short. Jesus says in Matthew that all of the law, all of the commandments hang on these Commands to love God and to love your neighbor as yourself. So if we want to grow up in emotional maturity, we have to learn how to love God, love ourselves, and love others. We have to go from being emotionally immature to being emotionally mature. We have to go from being infants emotionally. How many of you know infants have emotional needs? They make them known. Right? Children have emotional needs and they make them known. Adolescents really have emotional needs, right? And adults, there's signs of, of adult maturity. Let's take a look at some of these, shall we? So, how you might know if you're an emotional infant? Just have a look. I'm not accusing anyone of anything. <sighs> look for others to take care of them, have great difficulty entering into the world of others are driven by the need for instant gratification, or use others as objects to meet their own needs. So that's emotional infants. Emotional children aren't, are content and happy as long as they receive what they want. Unravel quickly from stress, disappointment, trials. They interpret disagreements as personal offenses, are easily hurt. Complain, withdraw, manipulate, take revenge, become sarcastic when they don't get their own way, or have a great difficulty calmly discussing their needs and wants in a mature, loving way. That's emotional children. What about adolescents? Maybe, maybe you're a little bit more mature than an infant or a child, and you find yourself in the adolescent stage. Tend to be, often be defensive, are threatened and alarmed by criticism. Keep score of what they give so they can ask for something later in return. Deal with conflict poorly, often blaming, appeasing, going to a third party, pouting, or ignoring the issue entirely. 
become preoccupied with themselves, have a great difficulty truly listening to another person's pain, disappointments, or needs, and are often critical or judgmental. Maybe you dance between infancy, childhood, and adolescence. But let's take a look at what emotionally mature adulthood might look like. They're able to ask for what they need, want, or prefer clearly, directly, and honestly. Recognize, manage, and take responsibility for their own thoughts, feelings, and actions. It's not someone else's fault, the, way, the reason why you feel the way that you do, or the reason you behave the way you do. Under stress, can state their own beliefs and values without becoming adversarial. Uh-oh. Respect others without having to change others. Did you hear that? You can respect others and their opinions and beliefs without having to change them. Give people room to make mistakes and not be perfect. Appreciate people for who they are, the good, the bad, and the ugly, not for what they can give you back. Accurately assess their own limits, strengths, weaknesses, and are able to freely discuss them with others. Are deeply in tune with their own emotional world and are able to enter into the feelings, needs, and concerns of others without losing themselves. Have the capacity to resolve conflict maturely and negotiate solutions that consider the perspective of others. So maybe you found yourself somewhere. Maybe you danced between them. But anyway, those are just some symptoms and signs to look at. Don't throw any tomatoes at me. I'm just trying to help you. The religious leaders of Jesus' day, they were diligent, they were zealous, they were committed to having God as the Lord of their lives in the way that they knew. They memorized the entire books of Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Most of you haven't even read them. And they committed their life to memorizing them. Don't shout me down when I'm telling you the truth. They prayed five times a day. You can barely make it five minutes. They prayed five times. They tithed all their income, gave their money to the poor. They evangelized. They did all the right. Jesus even commended them about their tithing and doing all the works of the law. And yet, they never delighted in God or delighted in his people. They never linked loving God with diligence, zeal, and commitment. You can, you can do all the right things, but there has to be a connection between doing the right things and truly loving God and being passionate for God and loving His people. For this very reason, these same religious leaders criticized Jesus. They called Him things like a glutton and a drunkard and that He was a friend of sinners, a friend of tax collectors. Because he spent too much time with the people. The same Jesus who loved his father and spent time with his father, who practiced being in the presence of his father, also learned what it meant to practice presence with people. Because he was able to be with God and have presence with God, and God's, the Father's presence with him, he understood what it meant to have presence with people, to show up with people, and to be able to turn off. You know, presence is really a big thing. It's being able to turn off all the distractions and all the other faucets of life, and just be. Just be who you are. Just show up as you are with someone. 
That's, of what, that's, that's the summation of what presence really is all about. And so when it's being present with God, when we talk about practicing the presence, it means just being with God. It's just allowing His presence to be with you. Just allowing Him, just like we practiced this morning, allowing Him to show up with no other agenda, with no other plan, but just to be. How often do we do that with God? And how often we do that with God will determine how well and how often we do that with others. If you want to love people, you have to learn to be present with them. You have to learn how to just sit and just be. Jesus was masterful at this. He was able to just reach out to people where they were without any other distraction. If they were hurting, he was with them. If they were broken, he was with them. If they were confused, he was with them. If they were drunkards, he was with them. Did you hear what I said? didn't mean that he was going to the bar every Friday night and having a drink. It just means that he was present with them and their brokenness. Instead of judging them and criticizing them or trying to change them, he was just there. And by being there, by virtue of just being there, there was an anointing on his life that affected who they were. Do you realize, do you understand that you don't have to try to change everybody that walks into your world? You don't have to try to have all the right words to say and respond all the right ways. Just be there. Just be there. Because there's an anointing on your life that will transform the way they're living. You just have to be present. You just have to get in the room. Do you hear what I'm saying? Did you hear what I'm saying? You have an anointing. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon you. And He has anointed you. If you would just get into the space, turn off all the distractions and be present. The same anointing that's resident on your life will flow into theirs. I promise. It happens all the time. I find myself even, you know, just in ministry and in, in all the things and all the places I show up, if I can just be there. You know, I've had people say, there's just, people who aren't Christians who say, you just have a powerful presence. You just show up. There's just something about when you're just in the space. Why do they say that? Because it's not anything about me. There's an anointing on my life. There's an anointing on my life, and I've, I've learned to tap into that. And by being there, by being present and having that anointing, it gets on people. It affects them. It opens the door for them to open up and share and say things that they'd never say and, and, and realize things that they'd never realize. Because there's an anointing on my life. There's an anointing on your life. So like Jesus, we have to practice presence with the Father and then show up with others in the same way. In 1 John, we're told, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know love, does not know God, because God is love. This is very interesting to me. We're given one of the most powerful, purest forces in all of creation. As Pentecostals, we're great at talking about the power of God. 
And I, I, man, I can talk about his power. I mean, we saw his power at work this morning. I love when his power is present to heal. I love when his power is present to liberate the captives. I love when his power is present. But more than his power, I love when he pours out his love. When his tangible, liquid love is just oozing over people. Why is that? Because his love, he is love. Everybody say, God is love. If God is love and he is, then this most powerful force doesn't say that God, 1 John doesn't say God is power. Power is one of his attributes. He is God. It's just, it's just part. But it says he is love. He's defined by that. So one of the most powerful Forces in all purest force and all of creation has been given to you and to I, you and to me. This called love. Called love. Called love. Did you hear it? Most powerful. Called love. Most powerful, purest forces. How important is it that we learn to not only drink in and to receive of this love and let his love liquid. I talk about this liquid love, the ocean, the vast ocean of his love, just to get lost in the vastness of this love. You couldn't contain it. There's an old song. You, even if you were to try to describe his love by riding it across the sky, you couldn't, the skies couldn't contain the description of his love. Earth cannot, the vastness of space cannot. Every atom of this world is pouring out the DNA and the attributes of his love. It's everywhere. I mean, his, this is the purest, purest power purest force of all time. And it's been given to you and I. It's been given to you and I. And so we have to learn how to love. If God is love, and we're to love and to be lovers, then guess what? This power, this force can change. Change how we interact with others. This is what draws men to repentance. This love is what changes lives. It's not the power of your words, although words have power, and they certainly can distract from love, demonstrate love or not. It's not all the other things. The core is love. You know, I find it so interesting that we work so hard on all the right things. We try to do, we've got to read the Bible enough. We have to worship enough. We have to pray enough. We have to do all the right religious things enough. And if we do it, then that means we're religious and we've, we've checked all the check boxes and God will accept us. Anybody ever been there? But that's not what love is. God did not say that I love you if. He did not say, I love you if you perform. I love you if you do all this. I love you if, you if you check all the boxes. Our job as believers is to receive first and foremost His love. That's our job, to receive His love. Love is so important that it motivated the Father to redemption's plan. In John 3.16 it says, For God so loved 
the world. Love is what motivated Jesus to lay down his life for us. In John 15, 13, it says, Greater love hath no man than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. Love is the single greatest distinguishing mark of the believers. So Jesus said, by this, people will know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. Love is the first and foremost fruit of the Spirit. Galatians 5.22, but the fruit of the Spirit is what? Love. Right? Love is the first. The work of the Holy Spirit is, in us, first and foremost, is to make the love of God, the love of the Father known to us. In Romans 5, 5, it says God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. In 1 Corinthians, we're told that love is more excellent than any gift or miracle or spiritual gift. It says, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but not love, I am nothing. If I give away all that I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. In 1 Corinthians 14, 1, we're told to pursue love. We're to earnestly desire spiritual gifts, but before that it says pursue love. Now, what does that mean, to pursue love? To pursue love. George, come here. I need your help. We're going to, you and I as believers are to pursue. Everybody say pursue. Pursue love. George, your love. Everybody see love? No. I know he's single, but that's not what I'm after. Although, never mind. 330. <laughs> so he's going to be love. Love, I just want you to go somewhere. I'm, hurry up. Come on, love. I didn't mean you had to stop and love on people. I just said love. Love, go. Just go. Just go. Love, go. Love, go. Just go. I got Just run. There you go. Now, we're, now you got it. Now you got it. So we're pursuing love. Keep running. Keep going. We're not done yet. We're going to do laps. We're pursuing love. We're pursuing love. Thanks, George. Everybody give George a hand. So when, when the Bible says we're to pursue love, did you catch that? That we're to pursue after, run after, that we set our focus on and keep going after. How many of you know it is a choice that you have to determine and be intentional to love others? Love is intentional. Everybody say love is intentional. It's not something that you haphazardly wake up one morning and say, oh, I'm just going to love. Love is, a, love is a feeling. Love is like a butterfly. I'm going to float through the air. Love is intentional. It's intentionally saying, I've, I've been present with the Father, and the Father loves me, and I'm going to be present and love others as the Father has loved me. It's very intentional. 
But there's this wonderful enemy that roars like a lion and will do everything he can to stop our love. I don't know if you've been there, but, but, it, but I have. And he will do everything in his power. And our, and our natural carnal selves will do everything in its power to stop love. To cause division and strife and disunity. The very first thing that the enemy will always go after to affect our love. And he never goes directly after love, by the way. He never goes directly after it because love is so powerful. But the first thing that he will attack and try to use is the word trust. He tries to impact our level of trust with others. Let me give you an example of this. I can't trust the church because you see what everyone else, all these other pastors and all their failures. So I can't trust the pastor because of all their issues. And so you hide out in church. You put up the four walls around you in church. You don't want to get too close to anyone because if you do, then someone could hurt you. You don't want to love others because if you, if you do, you could get hurt. Or maybe, maybe it's, you know, this, I've been hurt. In tr- I saw this again this morning. God help me. I get so aggravated when I see these stupid memes. You can't trust people in church. Well, then be somebody that somebody can trust. Y'all didn't shout loud enough. <laughs> I feel like I need, I need a better shout on that. If you, do, if you think the church can't be trusted, then be somebody that somebody can trust. Stop talking about how we can't trust and say, I'll be the person you can. Just make a difference. Good grief. Anyway, so... You know, you have this experience. Maybe you've been in church before and you've got hurt in church before. Raise your hand if you've got hurt in church before. If your hand is not up, you're lying. Or you haven't been in church very long. (laughs) Because the church is filled with people. Well, I'm not going to church because they're hypocrites. So are lawyers and doctors and (laughs) politicians. I mean, like... Should we go down the list? Well, fine. What's your job? We'll talk about your job. There's surely hypocrites in your job. If not, just stay there long enough. There will be. Right? It's all around. And so, but we use these things to build walls around us and say, well, I can't trust because of what happened. It's the very thing the enemy will use to stop the giving and the receiving of love. I can't trust them, so I can't love them. I can't trust them, so I don't receive love from them. And when trust is broken, when something happens to affect our trust, we immediately go into one of the five F's. You all know what the five F's are? Fight, flight, freeze, fawn, flop. I'm serious. Those are the... Have you ever heard those before? Maybe you're flight or fight, fight or flight or freeze. You're familiar with some of them. Fight is about you're ready. You're going to be aggressive whenever you see that threat. You're going to be aggressive. They broke my trust. I'll give them a five-fold ministry, brother. (laughs) Whatever that is. Or freezing. 
unable to move, act, think, or respond, just frozen. Flopping is, the, is this idea of collapsing. You just faint. Flop or faint. <laughs> Got it? Okay, great. Flight is the runaway. We run away from the situation or fawning, people-pleasing. So when trust is broken, we immediately go into one of those modes. And if, if you're not careful, you get stuck there. You start people-pleasing. You know, the, the whole idea of fawning, people-pleasing. Well, I can't trust them, so I'm just going to keep saying yes to everything so that I don't get hurt. Or are you, we also see this in church, the, the flight. I see this a lot, too. Well, I can't trust the church, so I'm not going to say yes to anything. I'm going to keep everybody at arm's length. Y'all are quiet up in here this morning. I'm, I'm, is the Holy Spirit shining a light on things? There, there's, you keep everybody at a distance because you don't want them to hurt you. I've been hurt before, so I'm going to run away from everybody. And if things get too, too uh, emotional or too connected, I, I see this all the time, you know. It, it, people keep, keep these walls and these barriers that we're good at these things. Or, or maybe, maybe you're not literally flopping around the church. <laughs> you're not, but the idea of this, the fainting, is that the idea is that you're, you're just disengaged. You're present, you're here, you're accounted for in the room, but you're just disengaged. Or what, what tends to happen with this response to a lack of trust is disengagement eventually leads you out the door. Because you're fearful, right? You're fearful of, of what hurt is coming your way. You've had broken trust. And so the, the fainting phase of, of this response, our neurological response, these are all neurological responses. We, and then how we do that is we just disengage in life or disengage with the church. And eventually we just keep disengaging until we find ourselves out the door. And then this is the response to that. Well, no one ever reached out to me. No one loved me there. Don't shout me down when I'm telling you the truth. No one, well, no one could because you wouldn't allow it. You had a wall up. You were fainting your way out the door. I assure you that somebody loves you. Somebody's calling you. Someone's reaching out to you. Are y'all out there this morning? Especially if you're at Celebration Church. I know somebody's calling you. Somebody's texting you. Somebody's reaching out to you saying, how are you doing? I know for a fact that there's not one person in this church that doesn't get a phone call or a reach out on a regular basis. I know that happens. And so the question is, are you going to receive love? And are you going to give love? Are you going to love others? I pray that this is, I hope I'm annoying somebody this morning. Because it's awfully quiet in here. And I hope this word is just gnawing at you. Because, you know, sometimes I think we, we create these excuses, right? And we blame others for our own lack of awareness of love. Like we, we're like, well, then nobody loves me. Nobody cares about me. Nobody asks me. Nobody knows what I... Come on now. And all it is, is we've, a trust has been broken. The enemy is trying to get us off the track of pursuing love. 
Instead of pursuing love, we're pursuing offense. Instead of pursuing love, we're focused on the lack of trust or the brokenness. Instead of pursuing love, we're, we're focused on what they did or they didn't do. But when we see love, love keeps no record of wrongs. So maybe they didn't do it just how you wanted them to. But it doesn't mean they don't love you. Is this microphone working? I know we were having sound issues before, but I'm just making sure. Come on now. Just because someone didn't communicate the way that you wanted them to doesn't mean that they don't love you. Just because pastor didn't call you on your birthday doesn't mean... I send emails every birthday. So if you don't get my birthday emails, that means we don't have your birthday. Otherwise, I do communicate. <laughs> you know what I mean? And we come up with these things and we respond and we get stuck in these cycles instead of trusting and loving. Here's how you break those. Science tells us that it only takes 12 seconds to form a, newer, a new neuropathway in your brain. 12 seconds. This is interesting. Because you can create in 12 seconds the, they don't love me. They're out to hurt. 12 seconds is all it takes of thinking that thought. 12 seconds of thinking the thought, they don't love me, I can't trust them. 12 seconds, do you hear that? 12 seconds is all it takes. You can't even brush your teeth effectively in 12 seconds. It takes two minutes to brush your teeth. It takes less time to create a belief in your brain. And by the way, that pattern of they don't love me, they don't trust me, what happens, this is why this is so important. Some of you will recognize this in your life. It takes 12 seconds to form a pattern of thinking. And what happens the next time that situation comes up? The next time that situation happens, your brain kicks into default. Because your brain can't process all the information that it's taking in as quickly as it's coming in. So the brain, in order to process information, does it the most efficient way it knows... And the most efficient way it knows is to say, where are the synapses that happened before? And let's follow that pathway. And so if you've created in 12 seconds, they don't love me. And you've dwelt on that. You've meditated on that for 12 seconds. That's the way your brain defaults to every time the situation happens. And you wonder why you're stuck in the rut that you're in. It's because you didn't take your thoughts captive. Hello, do you, remember, do you remember the Bible when, when, when Paul said that we, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but we, we have power to pull down strongholds and principalities, taking every thought captive, right? So every thought captive is so important. It ain't the devil doing it. It's your own stinking thinking doing it. The reason you're in the cycle that you're in is because it's your own thought process. And so just like it takes 12 seconds to do the devil's work and create this pattern, he's not, you're not possessed by the devil. 
Well, I don't understand. Every time this situation happens, I keep thinking this. Well, the reason you keep thinking this is because 30 years ago, you had that thought. And now 30 years later, that's the pattern your brain follows every time. And so the only way to break that is to set the same. You got to go back and rewire that thought. You have to recognize that thought exists. And that's not true. That's not true. That they do love me. They do care about me. That God loves me. God lo- Who cares if they love me? God loves me. They probably never knew that they, you didn't think they didn't love you. <laughs> right? Come on now, don't shut me down when I'm telling you the truth. That person that you thought didn't love you, they probably have no idea 30 years later that you thought that they didn't love you. But we form these ideas in our brain, and then we start the fight, flight, freeze. We go through this cycle, and we get stuck there. And the only way to break that, you know one of the best ways to break this? You'll love this, because I love it, and so you're going to love it. Got it? Okay, just making it clear. So so one of the best ways, y'all just practiced it. Some of you did. The best way to break the cycle of the what we call in psychology the trauma response of the fight, flight, freeze, all those. The, the best way, one of the best ways scientifically is to laugh. It's to laugh. It's to laugh. That's why Psalms 126 says, He fills my mouth with laughter. That's why Nehemiah 8.10 says, The joy of the Lord is my strength. He fills you with joy. He fills you with laughter to deal with your stupid thinking. You can literally laugh your way out of depression. You can literally laugh your way out of anxiety. You can literally laugh your way out of the fears and all these responses that your brain's been trained in. It interrupts. It's a ha 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 Even if you don't feel like it, go ha ha he ho Because what's going to happen if you do it enough is something's going to release on the inside of you. Say, well, that's awfully fleshy. Well, so is your stinking thinking. So is your, so is your, I can't trust anybody. Do you want to stay in that or do you want to be free? Do you want to stay in that mess or do you want to live in the joy of the Lord? The joy of the Lord is your strength. So this, his joy is connected. You know what's awesome about this? I'll just keep talking until till somebody gets it. Hallelujah. So the awesome thing about his joy is that it is rooted in his love. So he first loved us, right? The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy. See, you're connecting the dots. So with joy, I will drink from the wells of salvation. This, the wells of salvation are there for the drinking because of his love. For God so loved the world. So the, the joyful drink of salvation is accessible because of his love. So this is so wonderful because my, my joy is not dependent upon the love of others. My joy is not dependent upon the trust of others. My joy is not... 
Are you all out there this morning? My joy is not what I experience with others. My joy is found in Him. It's rooted in Him. So who cares what they do? If, if something that they've done, whoever they is, whoever they are, just have a drink of His joy, because what's going to happen is it's going to liberate you neurologically. We know it's spiritual. We know that the joy of the Lord is not just science. We know the joy of the Lord is not just a religious idea or dogma. It's just not words on a page. But the joy of the Lord is a spiritual reality. And, and when you don't feel like laughing, let me just keep on digging this well. When, it, when you don't feel like laughing, when you don't feel like, like I need to have a laugh, there's, there's a resident on the inside of you is a very happy Holy Spirit. There's a very joyful Holy Spirit who's tasted of unseen realities living on the inside of you. And he wants to reveal to you the joy of God. And so before you know, you, you, don't, even, you don't even have to want to laugh. You can just say, Holy Spirit, I no, I need to laugh. And all these people keep talking about joy and I'm angry, but I need joy. And then you open up your mouth and you go, ha ha, he he. Pastor said, say, ha ha, he he, ho oh. ho. And then before you know it, <laughs> and the. In the psychology world, they'll they tell you, and a counselor would tell you, and Veronica can probably attest to this. In, in the counseling world, they tell you, go watch a funny video. Go watch something. Go outside and do something that makes you laugh. I got something. I don't have to go outside or watch a funny video. I got the Holy Ghost on the inside of me, and he makes me laugh. <laughs> his mind. I absolutely have. <laughs> That's the whole point. <laughs> you got to get out of your stinking thinking. <laughs> and the only way to get out of your stinking thinking is you got to laugh. <laughs> Good. <laughs> Some of y'all need to laugh a whole lot. <laughs> Some of you need to elbow the person next to you and say, you need to laugh a whole lot. <laughs> Not only will it help your brain, you'll look a lot better too. <laughs> You're a smile. <laughs> What does the Bible say? A merry heart, a joyful heart does good like what? Medicine. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Get rid of Eeyore. Yeah, I don't know who said that. Get rid of Eeyore. Whoo. <laughs> when, when trust erodes, love begins to wither. And when love begins to wither, the greatest evidence of the reality and the nature of God on earth becomes obscured. So when you allow trust to erode, it eventually affects one of the greatest displays 
of the reality of who God is. What are some of the things that affect our trust? Lying, being secretive, breaking promises, being hypocritical, manipulation, cheating, not taking ownership, responsibility, backstabbing, gossiping, disclosing trusted information. I'm sure we've all had those experiences. Maybe you've done those things. But they affect our level of trust. Those are the things that affect how we trust others. And so recognizing, here's, the, here's reality, recognizing that those things affect your trust empower you to make a decision. Am I going to love anyway? These things affect my trust. Am I going to choose to love in spite of those things? Because they're going to happen, right? They're going to happen. Somebody's going to let you down. Somebody's going to stab you in the back. Somebody's going to gossip about you. Ask me how I know. Somebody's going to talk about you. Somebody's going to judge you. It's constant. We were, we, we were at the kids' basketball on Saturday. And, uh, you know, we're talking about 10-year-olds and under. I was like, Zoe was playing, so it was like 10 year, 10, 11, 9, 10. Heather's the assistant coach, and she's, she's coaching on the other side. She's coaching, and I'm sitting with the boys on the chairs, and behind me is one of the families that she's coaching, their daughter, and they're going for it. And, I mean, bless their hearts. They're trying their best. You know, they're 10-year-olds. They're trying to figure out how to play basketball. They're 10-year-olds, right? You know, they're trying to figure this out. And half of them probably have never played before. The other half that have think they're the best since, you know, um, you know, whoever. Pick your ba basketball star. And, uh, you know, it's just, I noticed who I didn't anyway. Never mind. I'll leave that alone. I'll leave that alone. You know, all the Akronites here. <laughs> Some of you will figure that out when you go home. You're like, who's he talking about? Um, anyway, so they were just, they were, they started talking behind, you know, behind me. And we're sitting there watching the game. And like, nobody's teaching these kids how to play ball. I mean, they were just going for it. And I'm like, they're, they're just not doing it. And they just start going on and on about the how nobody's helping these kids and they're not doing good enough and they're just, the kids aren't doing good enough. They're not, all these things. And I wanted to, there was a part of me that said, my trust has been broken. I don't trust you. I'm going to tell you a thing. I, you need to meet my Cajun wife. That's all I was going to say. I don't have to do a thing. You just need to meet my Cajun wife. You think she ain't teaching these kids? You ain't here for all the practice. And then when the, guy, the, the, the dad, it was so funny, he's like, yeah, I was here for two of the practices, and I had, to, I had to step in and help him. And I'm like, bozo, you stood at the end of the court and watched it. my wife do everything. You didn't help them. Shut your mouth. You ever been there? I had a moment. I was texting Heather while she's coaching. You will not believe what these people are saying. I eventually had to get up and leave because I had to love them. I'm like, in order to love them, in order to be Christ-like, sometimes you've got to leave the situation because they would not stop. What's wisdom in the situation? It surely wasn't confronting them because I'd tell them about my Cajun wife and she can handle them. 
Haha. <laughs> so, how do we love? How do we deal with when trust is broken? Oh, goodness. It's time for me to wrap up. How do we deal? <laughs> My iPad is back. <laughs> if you were here last week, you know all about that. <laughs> so, how do you deal? How do you deal with building trust? Number one, lead with repentance. You got to lead with repentance. Proverbs 28, 13 says, People who conceal their sins will not prosper, but if they confess and turn from them, they will receive mercy. So repentance. You're not always going to get it right. I can guarantee you, you won't always get it right. Some of you just need a good, you need to say amen to that. You're not going to get it right. You're not perfect. You're not going to always say the right thing or do the right thing, but you can lead with repentance. I've been in a, in a number of situations where I knew I was right. And I'm not just saying that because I'm the pastor and I get to say what's right. That's not what I mean. Like, I've been in situations in confrontation where I knew that I was right. Biblically, I was right. In leadership, I knew I was right. And leaders around me knew that I was right. But sometimes, other people think they're right. It doesn't matter how much you think you're right, they think they're right. And it doesn't matter how many facts that you have to back up that you're right. Am I preaching to anybody this morning? It doesn't matter how many facts that you have listed, ready. A, notice exhibit A, you did that wrong. Exhibit B, you did that wrong. Exhibit C, you could list it all, and they still think they're right. Right? And so sometimes, leading with repentance means that you lead with, I'm sorry, even if you know that you're right. Don't shout me down when I'm telling you the truth. Sometimes it means to humble yourself and lead with repentance. Lead with saying, you know, I could always do better. There's always room for growth. There's always room for me to do something different. I may not always be 100% right. I, I'm sure there's a space for me to learn something here. I'm sorry, and I'll grow in that. I'll learn from that. Is being right more important to you than loving others? Did you hear what I said? Is being right more important to you than loving others? Because if, if being right, you'll fight for your, your opinion, your perspective until the last breath. But is that what's most important in the situation? Is that you're right? Is that loving God and loving others? So lead with repentance. Number two, practice forgiveness. I'll say it again. I heard one amen. <laughs> practice forgiveness. Practicing forgiveness in the church, this, this ought to be, we ought to be so skilled at this that it's so natural. Because there's so many opportunities to forgive others. I mean, I had to, for, I had to forgive people just to get up here this morning. Phone calls in the middle of service, 
potty breaks in the middle of service and telling everybody about the potty break in the middle of service. I've got to forgive people. Did y'all hear me? People can be so disrespectful when you're preaching. Why is it so quiet in here? I'm telling you the truth. I didn't say y'all were. I just said people can be. I didn't accuse you of anything. If, but if the shoe fits, wear it. Take ownership of it. Forgive, for goodness sake. What, I mean, I'm not mad at you. I'm just telling you the truth. Don't get mad at me. I'm trying to help you. I've been, I've been in service. I'm not just talking about here. I've been in services. You thought people had the bladder the size of a pea. I mean, I'm telling you, it's, it's absolutely the truth. You're up preaching, and the next thing you know, there's a mass exodus to the bathroom. You're like, I mean, I know women go to the bathroom in herds, but this is something. I mean, <laughs> grief. Did I say something to offend everybody? I'll change my message, I promise. I won't say it again. I have no idea what I said, but we'll rewind the tape, and I'll listen to it next week. <laughs> you know, Facebook is great for this. I'll just go on Facebook Live after church. What did I say? And then, you know, you got to get up and talk to the same people every week. And they're, you know, it's like, are they going to do it again? I mean, do they hate me that much? They hate my preaching that much? They get up every week and they got to go to the bathroom. Hello? <laughs> Jesus is more important than your phone call. Am I? Okay, I'll get off of this. I know you're all are mad. You're mad. I get it. So I have to forgive. You have to forgive me now. So I have to learn how to forgive and say, they don't know what they're doing, Lord. Just like Jesus, you said it best on the cross. They don't know what they're doing. <laughs> don't get mad. I ain't talking about you. I've preached at all sorts of churches. I had a man... I was preaching one time. I had no idea. This man stood up at the back of the room and started cursing me out. I had no idea. I was just preaching my heart out. It was the devil. But he stood up and started cursing me out. All I saw, I was preaching my heart out. I see six ushers in the front. <laughs> Off to the back. I have no idea what's going on, but somebody is being dealt with right now. And it was the head ushers. I mean, it wasn't just the secondary ushers. It was the head ushers. Six of them. <laughs> I know what's happening. I know about half of those guys are armed, so I don't know what that guy doing in the back. <laughs> they never saw him again. See, when you're, when, you, when you're in New Orleans, it doesn't matter. They make a deal that you can't refuse. You better get yourself right. <laughs> don't interrupt the preacher. <laughs> you be gator bait. Don't do it. See, around here, we don't have that thread. What, we're going to take you out to the Cuyahoga Valley National Park? <laughs> In New Orleans, you misbehave in church. You're you going to go see the gators. <laughs> Never to be seen or heard from again. <laughs> Ha, ha, ha. 
See, this is what happens when you drink in the joy of Jesus. <laughs> Practice forgiveness. To build trust, practice forgiveness. <laughs> you got to live right and practice mercy. If you want to build trust, you want to walk in love, live right and practice mercy. Proverbs 21, 21 says, He who follows righteousness and mercy finds life, righteousness, and honor. And this one's big. Listen first. How do you build trust? Listen first. Lead off with listening. James 1.19 in the Amplified. I love this. Understand this, my beloved brothers and sisters. Let everyone be quick to hear. Be a careful, thoughtful listener. <clears throat> Can I pause right there? Because I think this is really important. Our, our brains are not wired to listen. This is, this is funny. You know, that Scripture would tell us to do something that's contrary to the way that we're wired. Our carnal brains are not wired to listen. Our carnal brains are wired to respond. Our brains are wired to filter and translate information, constantly taking in the facts. And so to actually do what this verse is saying requires love. To do what this verse says requires that you love. Because it's not natural to be a thoughtful listener. It's natural to write a story while someone's telling you theirs. Right? It's natural to interpret what someone's telling you, and before they finish, you're ready to respond. That's the carnal way of living. But remember, in Christ, the old has gone and the new has come. We have a new way of living. And that new way of living means that we listen first. Amen. Good preaching, Pastor. Hallelujah. Slow to speak. Now, that's definitely contrary to how we... Right? We, all, we, have, we all want something to We all got something to say. Slow to speak. The Amplified says, a speaker of carefully chosen words and slow to anger. <laughs> In, interject laughter into that space. Because we want, to, we want to respond with anger quickly. But we've got to be patient. So how do we do that? We love. Now here's, here's the truth about all of this. Is that Jesus said, two greatest command. He said, when he got asked, what is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. He could have just stopped right there. The teacher said, what? The, the lawyer said, remember the lawyer? Lawyer said, what's the greatest commandment? And Jesus said, love the Lord your God. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. Pause. He could have stopped, but he didn't. He kept going. And he said, the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Uh-oh. The second is like it. The first is love the Lord your God. Deuteronomy 6 goes all the way back to the command of Moses. Love God. First law. 
greatest. But the second, Jesus kept going, is just as important. Love your neighbor as yourself. Uh Uh-oh. He didn't stop there either. Jesus, you know, if he was in a, if he was really dealing with a deposition or a trial, they would have, his lawyer would have said, be quiet. Answer the question that's asked and stop. Because you only ask what's asked. But Jesus kept talking. And not only did he say, first, greatest commandment, second, is just like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. And third, I got to tell you this, all of the law and commands hang on these commandments. What? What does that mean? All of these, all the laws, all the commands, all the things that you're trying to fulfill and do and check all the boxes, all of them hang on these, huh? So I want you to, I want to help you understand this. You see, all of life and the plan of redemption is written out. If you just picture it written out on a scroll, the story of God written out. You and I are in that story right now. You and I are written into that story right now. Just where we're written in that scroll. This is a big scroll, but we're written. It's the story of God's redemptive plan and humanity and all the things written out. We're written on it. Now, Jesus, would you just picture this with me? You have been given the ability from Jesus to step outside of that scroll. We're a part of that story, but we're going to step outside of that story for a second. And you can see the scroll of God's story with chains hanging on either side of it. You can see the scroll of the story of God's redemptive plan and the love of the Father for you and I. And on either side of this scroll are two chains that are able to hang on something. And where do they hang? You could see them go, those chains go all the way to the throne of God. And on one arm of the throne is written, love the Lord your God. And on the other, love your neighbor as yourself. And the scroll of God's redemptive plan hangs on his throne. Of God, love your neighbor as yourself. That's what Jesus meant when he said the law of the, and all the prophets hang on these commands. Everything in this book, everything that you'll experience, all of it is held on the throne of God, the throne. He is love. Love God. Love your neighbor as yourself. Why don't you stand with me this morning? I only got about halfway through that message. (laughs) Hallelujah. Hallelujah. (laughs) How many of you, the the Lord speaking to you this morning? Stirring some stuff in your heart. I, I, just, I just hear the Holy Ghost just saying right now in this moment, he's restoring trust in your life. You know, we talked about how to build trust with others. We talked about, right, we talked about lead with repentance, forgive, all those, right? You, 
made those, you wrote those notes. If you didn't write the notes, you need to go back and listen to the recording. If you didn't, if you don't got the recording, we have the sermon notes that will be posted this week. Make sure you go and study those things. But sometimes you can ting-ting on the ding-ding. We'll be good. It'll help me not go forever, too. I really just want to, I just really felt prompted of the Holy Spirit, though, on this. Is that some of you need your trust restored. Trust restored. It's not, yes, you need to practice love in a way that builds trust, but for you, your trust has been broken. You're, how do I get back to trusting? Number one, remember the interrupter is the joy of the Lord. The divine interrupter for all of it is his joy. <laughs> so if you feel the heaviness, you feel the barrier, you feel the weight, step into his joy. And then I would say that the same things that build trust are the very things that will help you restore trust. Lead with repentance. I didn't do anything wrong. Doesn't matter. Start with repentance. Lord, open my eyes to what I need to take ownership of. It may have not been all your fault. It may have not been any of it your fault. Someone may have harmed you, done something to you that was absolutely nothing your fault. You didn't ask for it. Either way, lead with repentance. There's something you can take ownership of. If someone harmed you, hurt you, you didn't do anything wrong, you know what you can take ownership of? Lead with repentance. I start with me. I start with my broken trust. Lord, I take ownership. I, I take ownership of my broken trust. You don't have to take ownership for what someone else did to you, but you can take ownership of your trust. Did you hear what I said? You can't change what they did. I'm talking to somebody this morning. You can't change what they did, but what you can change is how you respond. What you can change is by saying, I'm gonna choose trust. I'm gonna choose love. I'm gonna choose God's love, that he loved me. And so Lord, I just confess right now that my trust has been broken. Lord, forgive me. Wash me. I repent from hanging on to broken trust. Start with forgiveness. After you repent, you're going to need to forgive the person who broke your trust or people who broke your trust. Oh, I could never forgive them. You know, that's, that's the wonderful thing about the love of God. Is that where we think we can't, He can. Where we think we can't, His love at work within us all of a sudden turns those perspectives and those thoughts towards those people. And we see them through the love of God and not through our own eyes. We understand that by not forgiving, we stay in bondage to that thing and to that person in that situation. And then move on. When you forgive, move on. Live right. Live in mercy. 
because of that situation, you now have a new compassion for people who experience maybe similar things. So you have mercy for those who need mercy. You have compassion for those who need compassion. I'm preaching to somebody this morning. Trust is going to be rebuilt, I promise you. Can I, can I tell you one more thing and I'll stop and we're going to worship. It doesn't happen overnight. There are miracles. There are times where God miraculously, I mean, it's in a moment, it's like healing and all those things are gone. But more times than not, he says, just as you experience that moment, I was with you in the middle of the moment when it happened. I never left you. I never forsake you. I was there when it happened. And I'm still with you today. I was there when it happened. I saw what they said. I saw what they did. I saw what happened. And because I was there, because I was present, I'm still present today, able to heal you. I can be empathetic with where you are. I know exactly what you faced. And I can heal you today. I can bring restoration today. If you'll start. Sometimes it's a process. Sometimes it's a process. So it's not always overnight. We're going to, I'm going to close in prayer. And I'm going to just ask Pastor Grace and the team to worship here in a second. You're free to stay and worship as long as you'd like. Don't forget there's a Super Bowl party tonight. And everyone's welcome. It's at 6, 6.30. And then there's the um, also there's VIP. If you're a guest, join us at the coffee bar. But I just want to, I want to pray. I don't want to single anyone out. And so I'm going to pray a general prayer because I really believe that there are those here this morning, you've experienced some hard things. And, and I, I, I mean like hard, heavy things. And this morning, the Holy Spirit's been nudging you. He's just been tugging at your heart saying, this word's for you. This word's for you. I can't orchestrate these things. This is the Lord's work. He's speaking. And so I just want to pray for you collectively. I'm not going to single anyone out. I'm just going to pray a collective prayer that the Lord will move in your heart. And that today begins the journey for you of restoration. Jesus, I thank you for every person in this room. I thank you, Lord, that you have a plan and a purpose. Lord, there's absolutely no situation, there's no circumstance that we face that you cannot redeem. You were present, you were with them. Your heart hurt right in the middle of it, but you knew you knew the glory that was to come on the other side of it. You knew the triumph that was to come on the other side of it. You knew the rest of the story through the eyes of eternity. And so, Lord, I pray that today those in this room that have been hurt and impacted by the wrongdoings of others, that trust has been broken and things have gotten hard, Lord, that you would come and, Lord, they would know 
they'd see and be empowered to take ownership of their own life, their own experience, their own situation, be able to start the journey of healing, to start the journey of repentance, to start the journey of forgiveness, moving forward into all that you have for them. Lord, I thank you for the testimonies that are continuing today. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen.